Good morning. I'm, I'm excited that you're all here today. I, I was kind of surprised there's so many graduations going on. I'm glad everyone was able to make it and, and find seats and, and all those kind of things. A uh, special welcome if you're new. Uh, if you are brand new to our church today, I'm not going to have you stand up or anything, but you picked a really good Sunday to come because I'm going to talk about this, which is brand new, and you're going to hear some things that some of our charter members are just hearing for the first time, too, about our church. So it's great to have everybody here as we, we talk about what this thing is. Um, this display, we just got it in on Thursday, and it's not normally going to be up here. Um, it's going to be in, in, the, in the lobby. And I'm so excited about this because we finally have language for what our church is about. It only took us six years. But we finally have language about what our church is about. Um, for those of you who are new and, and don't know the story, six years ago, uh, my wife and I felt like we were being called to, to plant a brand new church, which is something we weren't uh, excited about and something we didn't have a reference point for. And what really felt so out of place, among other things, was the fact that it seemed like all the other church planters had a really clear vision of what their church was supposed to be about. We felt so out of place because we didn't have that. You know, some of the church planters, they felt called to start a church for people who didn't like church. And there were others who felt called to start a church for 20-somethings or young families or artists or intellectuals or a particular demographic or a particular ethnic group. There were some churches that said, we want to be defined by our music or defined by our teaching or defined by doing life together or defined by social justice. And then there's Laura and I, and we didn't have a target market, and we didn't know if we were supposed to. And, and when people would say the social justice piece, I, that sounds good. And people talk about the good teaching, we want that, and the music. And, and so we, we've got all these ideas, but we didn't have um, anything we could put on a bumper sticker, you know? And it's interesting, those who've been around here for a while, how reflective that is in you, that you know that that's what it's, it's been our journey. We just, we just set out to follow God, you know, and, 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 and try to have him lead us along the way. Well, earlier Jennifer referenced that congregational survey. Um, we've been just getting the results back, and we're going to be processing it with the elders on Thursday. And, uh, and then we have that town hall meeting. We are all welcome to come, and the person that helped us with the survey is going to be there to walk us through it. Well, anyway... The surveys were anonymous, so we don't know who writes what, but I had to laugh when I saw this one. Um, the question that this person was responding to was, what initially drew you to ECC? And our lack of a bumper sticker, uh, I answer really comes here, and I, and I love this. The person answered, ECC knew what it didn't want to become. I'm like, that was true. That was true. We knew some things that we didn't want to be. And by we now, I say beyond Laura and I, this is all of us who were starting off on this. We knew what we didn't want. We didn't want the politics. We didn't want the drama. We didn't want Sunday services that felt like a show. We didn't want to divide over theological non-essentials. We didn't want watered-down teaching. But we also didn't want teaching that a person who isn't familiar with the Bible couldn't understand or apply to their lives. We didn't want to become a church where people had to pretend to be something that they're not. But we also wanted to be a church that has healthy boundaries with one another as well. We didn't want to be a church that just outsourced our outreach. We didn't want to just entertain kids or teens. We wanted to disciple them. So we had these types of things. That we, were, we had a pretty clear picture of what we didn't want, but we didn't have language for what it was that God was calling us to. And I used to apologize for that. 
I used to apologize for that. I used to think, well, maybe if I would have prayed harder or I would have thought deeper or something like that, then maybe we would have had the clear vision. Here's what you're supposed to be. Here's the language, all that. I don't apologize for that anymore. In fact, as I look back, it was so good that we didn't start. And those of you who have been around, you're, you're, I see you nodding. It was so good that we didn't start off saying, here's exactly you know, what, what we're going to be. Because I think we needed to detox. And not because we had bad backgrounds with our church, but because God was calling us to start something new. And if he's calling us to start something new, there's a reason for that. And so I think it was so good. How, how many of you who are regulars here came from a church that had a building? All right, look around. Keep, keep the hands up for a second. All right, see, we needed to live for a while in a church that didn't have a building. Because every one of us, those of you who put your hands up, put your, put your hands up again, um, leave your hands up if you've heard somebody say before, the church is not the building. Okay, so we've all heard that, right? We've all heard that. Okay, you can put your hands on now. But we had to live it, you know? And it was so good for us to not just, to not just um, assume that there's, this is how you do church. It was so good for us to learn that the church is the people, to do church right here in a public place. So good. Many of us, we came from church. In fact, I shouldn't say many. All of us came from churches that had traditions. Even if you're not a traditional church, every church has their traditions. You know? And it was so good for us, not because any of those traditions are bad, but it was so good for us to say, you know what? We don't have a clear picture of exactly what we're supposed to be, so we're going to ask why to everything. Everything we do for the first time is a new precedent. Why? Why are we doing what we're doing? So that was good. There's so many things that were so good about us not having a, a crystal clear vision of where we're going because it helped us put distance from old paradigms. And that was helpful because then we didn't inadvertently follow someone else's blueprints. Now, ironically, as you've seen this develop, those of you who've been here, you've seen this develop. Ironically, who we were called to be, it was in the name God gave us. If you never heard that story sometime, just ask me. I love to tell that story of how God gave us our name. Emmanuel Covenant Church. What does the name Emmanuel mean? God with us. It was there all along. That, that's what we're called to be. God with us. And the more that we've mined that, we've been able to get some specifics about what that's going to look for. And what this is up here is this is beginning to put some language to this 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 church that God's called us to be. And so I'm so excited. This display is going to sit out there in the lobby. It's for us to remind us what we're going to be all about. And it's also for those who are visiting to be able to say, you know what, here's us. So we just have a bunch of words. You see some words highlighted, four words highlighted. And then we have a bunch of things that describe that. But, but we're about helping people discover, connect, serve, and reach out. And we're going to let me show you the, a little bit more here on the screens of what that means. One of the things that, that, and we knew this pretty early on, that one of the things that we were going to be about is we're going to help people discover a deeper, more transformative relationship with God. We want those who aren't interested to become curious. Meeting people wherever they're at, those who are curious to say, you know what, I can put my full trust in God. And for those who say, I can put my full trust in God, how do we help them get to a place where the Bible says you're abiding, you're being led and guided by God on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis? We also, this is another one that we knew right from the start, or pretty close in, that we are, we're going to help people connect in richer, more meaningful relationships with others, helping those who are neighbors become guests, whether in our homes or, or at, at a small group or here, helping those guests make friends, and then helping those friends say, you know what, this, this is family. 
Now, here's a couple of the things that have been unfolding. Here's some more things that we really now have language for. We're going to challenge every believer in our midst to serve one another, your brothers and sisters in Christ, serve them in Christ-like ways. Moving from a consumer, where, hey, I'm just coming here and being served, you know, or I'm going to a small group being served or whatever, to I'm volunteering, I'm, I'm involved somehow, I'm rolling up my sleeves, pitching in. Moving from that to saying, you know what, I'm more than volunteering, I'm helping to build the kingdom of God because the talents and gifts that God's given me, I can apply those for the building of God's kingdom. And then to a multiplier, where now I'm helping to build others who can lead and teach and do these things. And then number four, this is, is so important, equally important. We're going to challenge believers to not just serve their brothers and sisters in Christ, but to reach out to a lost and hurting world in Jesus' name. Moving from I'm insulated, like I'm not, I don't have friends, I don't have people in my life who are lost or hurting, to I've been introduced so that it's not, oh, there's those people we send money to, those people that, you know, Tim and others go visit, but it's rather these are these people, these people I know, I'm introduced to them, and I'm engaged, I'm somehow making a difference, and then I'm advocating. We can't be advocates for everything, but what are you an advocate for? Now, there's a fifth one, and, I, and I'm going to have to get some tape or something and put it on the bottom here. You can see how this thing's emerging. But, but it, the reason we originally didn't put it on here is because it kind of is in a different category by itself, but it is as important as any of these. As a church, we will leave a God-honoring legacy. Churches in every denomination and independent churches share this in common. They usually grow old together. And that's it. They grow old together. I hope many of us grow old together, but as we grow old together, we're handing off the baton. And we're not handing off, here we are, here's all our debt, here's all our dysfunction, you know, you can have it, here are the keys, you know, I'm going off to Florida. No, we, <laughs> going to eternal Florida, no, we're, we're um, we are going to give them a well-fueled, brightly lit torch. And that means that we're going to be welcoming them as they are right now. We're going to be listening to their ideas. We're going to be modeling. We're going to be equipping them. And we're going to be turning stuff over before we feel ready to turn over. This is, this is, this is I believe, what God's called us to be. And more and more and more, you're going to see us aligning everything with these things. Now, the reason I'm excited, and the re- we don't normally start with this kind of a long introduction here before we get into the scriptures. But I think this is not coincidental that this thing showed up on Thursday and today we're starting the book of Jonah. We're starting a brand new series today and I love this kind of series. A lot of times with our series, what we do is we take a topic and then we say, what does God say about that? This one is, this week it's Jonah 1. Next week it's Jonah 2. Week 3, Jonah 3. You're so sharp. And then in week 4, it's Jonah 4. I'm really excited for this series. And Jonah is so much about, in fact, I would go as far as to say what I wrote down here in my notes. <laughs> Today, I would go as far as saying this, that the story of Jonah serves as a cautionary tale for those who lose track of God's call to serve others, reach out, and leave a God-honoring legacy. It's so important that we have this forefront because what happens in all churches and we, we are, and, and individuals too, not just churches, individuals, we focus on this, personalizing our faith. And that's where the drift is, that's where the gravitational pull is to make it about us. It's so great that you guys chose that song, Heart of Worship, and that it's all about you. you know, and, and I love the fact that our emerging vision that God's giving us, two or three-fifths of it is about serving, reaching out, leaving a legacy. We've got to keep that in front of ourselves because it's so easy to keep drifting in 
personal faith. It's about me. It's about God meeting my needs. And realizing our faith is also about serving, reaching out, leaving a legacy. So excited to have this kind of language as we look at Jonah's story. And in fact, as we're digging into Jordan's story, I'd like to uh, invite you to take out these notes here and write this down. Because if you're right now, if you're kind of familiar with the Jonah story, right now you're going, come on, you picked Jonah? I, I, I learned that in kindergarten. You did not learn Jonah in kindergarten. It was really fun. Um, we've got a whole lot of folks here who seminary trained, been studying their Bibles forever and ever and ever. And it was really interesting, as I said, Jonah, watching their faces light up, the people who've studied this book. And what I encourage you to write down is this in your notes. There is much more to Jonah's story than a reluctant prophet, a repentant people, and a really big fish. Isn't there? Can I get an amen, those of you who've studied this book? Isn't there so much there? This, and, and it's one of these sections of the Bible where it's so good to come back to and come back to come back to because you're going to see yourself in Jonah. And there's so many themes that are so vital to our faith and vital to our lives. There is so much that is beneath the surface. There's a reason why this story gets told to, to so many kids. Because it's on the surface, there's so much there. On the surface, there's a runaway prophet, a massive storm, a monstrous fish, a miraculous rescue. There's a repentant nation known for its power and cruelty. But then beneath the surface, there's so much more. If you ever studied this book before, I want to invite you to invite the Spirit of God to reveal to you through this book how high, how long, how deep is the Creator's love for you. The book of Jonah, it's a microcosm of God's relationship to his entire creation. The book provides a vitally important look behind the curtain. It puts on display the intentions of a Creator who extends amazing grace to the world and relentlessly pursues those he calls. And this is an Old Testament book that we're going to look at. The Bible, if you're not familiar with it, it has two sections, Old Testament, New Testament. This is an Old Testament book, but in this Old Testament book, we're going to see shadows of the New Testament gospel, the good news, where God allows himself to be cast into the sea of his own righteous justice, entering the realm of death for three days and coming forth that we might be saved. I anticipate these next four weeks are going to be like a mirror. And it's interesting. That's not just true for Christians. I was doing my research, and I came across uh, one of my sources that said that there's a Jewish tradition that's associated with one of their festivals in which the book of Jonah is read, and then when the reading concludes, the congregation, the Jewish congregation, stands up and says, in unison, we are Jonah. So this even goes beyond Christianity. But in one of the Christian sources I saw, this person did it the same, and and she personalized it this way here on the screens. She says, I am Jonah. I want to serve God as long as it's convenient. None of you are going to be able to relate to any of this, right? I desire to do his will until it gets uncomfortable. I want to hear his word as long as the hard parts are a message for somebody else. I don't want to have my plans interrupted. Oh, yes, I am Jonah. And I suspect that in one way or another, you are all right, well, before we dig into the text, i got one more thing I want to work through here together. Um, and that's for those of you who are operating under the paradigm that stories like this in uh, the Bible are all stories. Boy, I want to I put out here for your consideration that Jonah could be more than just a story. In fact, I encourage you to write this down and let me, let me make my case. 
in an abbreviated fashion because of time. I first encourage you to write this down. Jonah's story isn't presented as a story. Now, are there stories that are presented as stories in the Bible? Yes. Jesus did this often. You know, we even have a name for the genre, parables. There are often times in the Bible where a story is told to prove a point. I would argue this one, there's all kinds of points, but they're coming from something that happened. How, did, how can I possibly say that? Well, one of the reasons I say that, and I encourage you to write this down, is you can place these events on a timeline. If you're making something up, do you give the fact checkers facts where they can disprove you? No, you don't do that. And one of the things you certainly wouldn't do is put, put this guy on a timeline, put this story on the timeline, but that's exactly what happens. Jonah's on a timeline. Here's one example from the, from the Bible itself that puts him on a timeline. This is out of the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14. This is a summary of verses 23 through 25. And look what it says, that last sentence. It's referring to God, and it says, God spoke by his servant, and what was that servant's name? Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Helper. And then ahead of that, there's a whole listing of kings. And these were real people. You can put them on a timeline. They came from the nations of Israel and Judah. So you can date Jonah on a timeline. He, he can be dated to the middle of the 8th century B.C. and even more specifically to the years 782 through 753 B.C. You can put him, he, he's somewhere in that timeline. If, if these, uh, these, these, other, these other names and, and places put it down. So there's one detail, but it gets stronger than that. That's just one. You can also, I'd encourage you to write this down. I believe Jonah's story isn't presented a story because you, you can put it on a timeline and then you can find the places on a map. These aren't mythological places. These are real places. And in fact, you should have. How many of you got a map inside your bulletin today? All right. Well, why don't you pull that out for a second and take a look at this. Um, a number of these places, these, these uh, cities in particular, you're going you're gonna to hear as we go through Jonah, you're going to see these places. And here you go. I'll try to remember to put one of these in your bulletins each week um, so that you can be looking and referencing and saying, oh, these places exist. Well, the city that's featured most prominently in Jonah is the city of Nineveh. And uh, I've got my family here. A lot of my family's here today, which is great. So you guys can testify to the fact that as a high school, I had that period of my life where I got real skeptical about a lot of the stories um, that were in the Bible. And as someone who is naturally critical and skeptical in a lot of ways, I am fascinated by stuff that, that is hard evidence for that supports the Bible's credibility. So I get really excited about these things. So the, the Bible itself puts the story on, the, on a map with Nineveh. Listen to some of these things. The ancient site of Nineveh consists of two mounds in Iraq's second largest city. And at least 13 major archaeological excavations have happened on this site. Now, there's two mounds, but they've only been able to excavate one of the mounds. The reason they can't excavate the other mound is because there's a Muslim shrine on the other mound. And this gets fun. See, some of you nodding. Some of you might know this. This Muslim mosque that's on one of the mounds is dedicated to one of their prophets. In, we're going to put his name here in just a second. We'll put his, the, the uh, Arabic name there, and we'll show you what that prophet's name translates into in English. Let's go ahead and throw it on the screen. There it is in Arab, uh, Arabic. What does it translate into in English? Jonah? You, you want to, it's Jonah, right? Yeah, Jonah. 
I find that interesting. Now, this gets, this gets, um, this gets even, even more fun. Uh, is this the same Jonah? Yeah, it, it is. Um, I've, I've brought a number of sources here with me. Just so you know, I didn't pull these things off the internet. Uh, this next fact I'm about to give you uh, comes from this. And it, it's got to be credible because it's big, right? <laughs> no. This is the Anchor Bible Dictionary. The, the contributors to this come from Harvard, come from Yale, come from Princeton, all right? So this is where I'm about to tell you the source. This shrine that is dedicated to the prophet Jonah in this shrine, you know what's hanging in there? A whale bone. A whale bone. Now, if you're still wondering, could this possibly be the same guy? Now, this one comes off the internet. It wasn't in my notes. One of the guys was, I'm telling these stories. Um, one of the guys is, is uh, doing a search on his smartphone, Josh, Josh Wyatt at, at 9 o'clock. He's doing a search, and he said, whoa, you got to see this. So afterwards, he comes up with the smartphone, and this, we pulled this from the Koran. The, the story of Jonah. And verily, Jonah was one of the messengers. And when he ran to the laden ship, he agreed to cast lots. We're going we're gonna to read these words. In our Bible. And he was among the losers. We won't read that word. And then a big fish swallowed him up. And it goes on and on and on. Did something happen in Nineveh? In history? It appears so. It appears so. Now, that's what you find in one of the mounds. Or on one of the mounds. I love this stuff. And, and that's one of the mounds. The other mound where they're allowed to dig, they've been digging. And when they were digging... I didn't pull this from the internet either. Um, this one I got that I'm about to tell you comes from this thick book, which once again, the credibility, thick, it's big, and it's green. and everything. So, But this is Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible. Again, a, a well-recognized uh, source here. Um, listen to this. As they were digging in one of the, um, one, the mound where they could dig, they pulled up some tablets. And on one of the tablets, they found the story of a massive flood. A massive flood. Does the Bible say anything about a massive flood? Yes. What name is most popularly associated with the massive flood? It is Noah. Where am I going with this? There is a Noah-Nineveh connection. There's a Noah-Nineveh connection. Let's pull this up from the first book of our Bible, Genesis chapter 10. A summary of verses 1 through 12. It says, these are the generations of the sons of Noah. There's Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons that were born to them after the flood. The sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt. Does that sound familiar? Put and Canaan, does that sound familiar? Cush fathered Nimrod, which is an unfortunate name to give your son. Those of you, we got lots of people expecting kids, don't name them Nimrod. It's biblical, but it just doesn't work anymore. Okay, the, the, um, as Nimrod, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Remember that because Nineveh was a city known for warriors. All right, so he becomes a mighty man. He's a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. From that land, he went into Assyria and built, say it with me, Nineveh. Nineveh. Goes on, it gets even more interesting. If you pull out your map, see where Nineveh is? See where Nineveh is? If you went north a couple hours, you would come to a mountain called Mount Ararat. Ever heard of Mount Ararat? Where was Noah's Ark supposed to have landed? Mount Ararat. I, I, let me just talk straight up some of our teens. And some of you who are hiding off to college or they're heading there or they're soon. 
as you do your searches and as you go through life, you're going to come across all kinds of YouTube rants against, against Christianity. And if you go to college, you're going to have some sophomore religious, religious studies teacher. And, and he or she's going to rant and say, you know what? The Bible, it's just all myths. It's all stories. You need to challenge that thinking. You need to challenge that thinking. And listen. Listen to their arguments. Their arguments are primarily against the authenticity of the scriptures. Their arguments are primarily ideological in nature, philosophical in nature, and are the result of a modern bias against the supernatural. Can those things come into play when you're doing reason? Absolutely. But if you strip those three things away and you ask, why do you believe what they believe? They don't have much left. And what I want to challenge you on is this. When it comes to the hard evidence, when it comes to things you can touch, things you can go to see in a museum, things that you can actually, the hard evidence, the hard evidence supports the scriptures. Did you hear that? The hard evidence supports. Can the hard evidence support every claim the Bible makes? No. But the hard evidence consistently supports what the Bible says is true. So before you buy that rant from YouTube or your college professor, make sure you do your homework. And don't just do the homework they assign. All right? There's my rant. Here's my rant. All right? And, and, and I say that. You know, why do people do stuff like that? They do that because this is a dangerous book. This is a dangerous book, and people don't want this book to be true. And you know what? You're going to see this as, even as we read this. It's dangerous to us. And you are going to see stuff in here that you don't want to be true. But that doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it's not true. And sometimes we have to be very aware of our desire for it not to be true. All right. I, sorry, I did have a little bit more ranting left. But now I'm done ranting. All right. One last thing, and then let's dive into the text. Again, sorry for the long introduction here, but we're starting a brand new series. We'll be diving in a lot faster in the weeks that follow. One more thing I want to say about Jonah's story and why I believe it's not just a story is because Jesus doesn't seem to refer to it as just a story. We have two independent accounts of Jesus referencing Jonah. One from a book we call Matthew, one from a book we call Luke. They didn't start out the same. They're, They're two different sources. And I'll just put it up here on the screens. We'll read it, and you can decide if it sounds like that Jesus thinks Jonah's a story or if he thinks it really happened. Here it is. This is out of Matthew chapter 12. This is, and I give you the references, too. You can write them down. Look them up yourself. Study them. Read both sides. Here's what it is. For as Jonah was three days, these are the words of Jesus, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation, condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Noah, and now something greater than Noah, or Jonah, sorry, Jonah is here. It seems to me like he's referencing an actual event. All right. Whew, enough about the book. Let's open up to it. Ready? All right, here we go. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's open up Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. As we're turning here, I want to let you know, if you're new, we always keep a stack of Bibles in the back, and they're for you. They're for anybody that doesn't have a Bible. There's no sign-up sheet. There's no suggested donation. We would love, if you don't have a Bible, for you to take one free of charge. Here we go. We'll, let's go verses 1 through 3. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the city, the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. 
But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Okay, I just got to tell you right now, I can't say that word. All right, so Tarshish. At least I can't say it without it sounding silly, so just please bear with me. It just comes up a lot, though, which is unfortunate. All right, so headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for Tarshish. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Yeah, wait till it's your turn to be up here, all right? Um, I'll assign you some of these names. Okay, here's, here's some things. Um, Jonah receives a very specific word from the Lord. It's as specific as it can be. It says, and we have it up there, it's in quotes. This is God speaking. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Where is God sending Jonah to? Nineveh. If you look on your map, your handy little map here, Jonah is going down to the port of Joppa, and Joppa, well, let me put it this way. What, if you were to go from Joppa to Nineveh, what direction would you head? You would head northeast, all right? Tarshish, you have to zoom out and go to the top map. We don't know exactly where Tarshish was. What we do know, and what almost all scholars agree, well, what all the scholars that I saw agreed on, is that it's as far west as you could go. Tarshish was west. Jonah is supposed to go east. Tarshish is as far west as you can get. Now, what's interesting is in that verse 3, it could be just to make preachers stumble, but I think there's more to it. In verse 3, look at, they repeat this three times. They don't just say he went the other direction. He went to Tarshish, 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 Tarshish is where he went. And again, we're not sure where it was, but one of my sources that is thick one of my fixed sources, this one, the IVP Bible Background Commentary, which is a great one, by the way. This one's a really great one to have at home, seriously. Um, really great one to have at home. Um, this one says this, how far away is, is Tarshish? Um, that in King Solomon's day, where the travel was similar, a voyage to that town or that area, that region, was a three-year round trip. Three-year round trip. So, this is far Jonah, go east. I'm going west. He runs. He doesn't just refuse. He runs the other direction. As the story unfolds, we're going to see Jonah. He's a Nineveh hater. He's a hater. And if you or I were living in Israel at Jonah's time, we'd be Nineveh haters too. We'd be Nineveh haters too. In fact, normally we suggest that you send your kids out unless it's one that we plan to have the kids in here for, like when we're teaching, because we... The Bible has all kinds of content that isn't suitable for young years. In week three of this series, if you normally don't send your kids out, send your kids out. Because we're going to press into that. We're going to press into Nineveh and the nation that they were part of, Assyria, and how cruel they were. Just to give you a, a feel for why he was a hater. There were brutal. There were brutal people back then. There's brutal people now. These guys were standouts. They were standouts. In fact, they used to brag of the brutality. You can find stone carvings where they're bragging of their brutality, graphically illustrating it. These were, they did horrific things. But even with that being the case, Jonah, he's a prophet, and he has a clear word from the Lord. And Jonah's name means dove. Jonah's name means dove. Dove has long been a symbol of peace and reconciliation. So you've got a prophet with a word from God. You have a person who's been given the name that's basically reconcile, bring peace. Why can't he overcome that and go? 
Well, a lot of people say because he was scared. And if he was, then that's understandable. Extremely understandable. But the more time I've spent in the book of Jonah, the more I've concluded it was something else that caused Jonah to go west instead of east. I don't think he was afraid. Why do I say he wasn't afraid? Because several times, you're, we're going to see you're throwing eyes as we go through it. Several times he says, kill me now. Kill me now. I'm ready to go. So I don't think it's so much he's afraid to die. I think he has a deeper fear than death. And we're going to see that unfold. I think there's a deeper fear that Jonah has than death that keeps him from going west, going east instead of west. All right, here we go. Let's pick up where we left off. Jonah chapter 1, starting with verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God. They threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down. He fell into a deep sleep. The captain of the ship comes to him and says, How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he's going to take notice so that we don't perish. Who sent this storm? God. Does God send every storm? No. Does God sometimes send storms? Yep. Metaphorical, real. Now, the author's alerting readers that this is not just an ordinary storm, and in part by saying God sent it, but also because it must be a nasty storm. Sailors can be superstitious. But when a ship's crew abandons tactical maneuvering in favor of religion, that's a bad storm. All right, let's continue to read. Uh, picking up with verse 7. Then the sailors in this horrible storm, they, they, they said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. So they asked Jonah, Tell us who's responsible for making this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What kind of people are you? Oh, they hammer with the questions. Now, let me back up and talk quickly about casting lots. And I'm going to say let's talk quickly about it because we really don't know a ton about it. It's just that we see it as an, as an ancient practice. It appears as though there's at least two types of lot casting. Um, one of the types is where you're just trying to figure out what does your God want. And so you have objects, and somehow by throwing these objects down, you can tell what your God wants. That's one type of lot. But there's another type of lot casting lots that appears to be used here, and that is the kind of lot casting lots where it's like flipping a coin or drawing straws, where every person would put something of, that represented them into a shaker, and you'd shake it, and whichever one comes out, all right, you're up. And so that's what they did. They, it probably wasn't hard because the boat's rocking, Jonas falls out, and they're like, all right, what's up? And you could see in all their questions, it must, what's up, what's up? So picking up with verse 9, let's go back to our text. Jonah answers, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. <gasps> this terrified them. And they asked, well, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Now, here's why they get terrified. Different people had different gods in those days. Why do you think they were terrified when Jonah says something about his God? His God is what? God of sea. Dry land's like, no! Of all the gods for you to offend, you didn't just, no, you didn't. You know, I can just picture that in my head. All right, but let me get back to the text. Here we go. Um, verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So the sea, see how this is building? Storm is already so bad. Sailors are freaking out long ago. 
it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So they ask him, right, what do we do? How do we make the sea calm down for us? He goes, pick me up, throw me into the sea. He doesn't try to lie. He doesn't try to duck it. He's just like, throw me in and it'll become calm. It's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to what? Row back to land. What? Row back to land. Why, why would they do that? Well, it helps to understand. This is where, you know, we, most of us have grown up with an understanding of the Christian God. The, the Christian God was so different. The Jewish God was so different than what people were used to. Those gods were not so predictable. Those gods were, they, they would just punish people for, for fun. They, they acted childish. They were, they were random. And so, one, you're going to want to turn to Jonah because it was like, Jonah, you probably know your God best. You know? The other thing about the people's gods back in that day is, for the most part, people's gods were, were gods of that people exclusively. And so, even if Jonah's God is mad at Jonah, I can't pick on Jonah because even if he did wrong in your sight, now you're going to get me. It's kind of like if one of you guys come after my kid, you don't come after my kid. You know, Right? You understand it? So, so it's kind of like that. Well, we don't want to mess with Jonah because we don't want to offend that God. So let's roll back to shore, let God sort it out with him. But let's not get this God even madder by killing Jonah. All right, so the storm keeps getting worse, though, and worse, though. And so we pick up with verse 14. We're going to read two more verses. This is it, and we're done after I give you your homework. Then they cried, oh, man, this good homework. All right, so they cry out to the Lord. Okay, we're... We, we got to do something. Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, you've done as you pleased. They took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. That's what we're going to pick up for the reading next week. But between now and then, got to some homework. Two assignments. Here's the first, and these questions are in your notes. First assignment is talk about these questions. It, you, you can certainly do it individually. You can, you can reflect on these, but I think these are the kind of questions that are really valuable having a discussion with somebody you trust. You know, a close friend, spouse, kids, family. These are some great questions. Here's one. Has God ever interrupted your plans? You know, for some of you, you might have some great stories to be able to tell about that. Has God ever interrupted your plans? Number two, who represents Nineveh in your life? I know who represents Nineveh to a lot of you because you, it comes out, it leaks when you talk politics or when you talk about something else. Who represents Nineveh? Here's number three. Have you ever sensed a Nineveh assignment? Have you ever sensed God asking you to do something you didn't want to do with the people that you didn't want to do it with? Number four, do you believe God still uses storms? What might that look like? In your life. Number five, have you ever had a storm that could have been from God? And number six, this one, number six and seven, they're going to make a lot more sense as we go through the next couple chapters. But start asking these questions now. Questions one through five, we may or may not come back to as the series goes on. Questions six and seven, we'll come back to. How are you participating in God's great commission? If you're not familiar with that, look it up. There's some verses there. This idea of God sending us. And number seven, would you be willing to list the names of at least three people that you pray for? And again, this is one that's going to make a lot more sense after you um, 
read, if you haven't before, read through Jonah, you're going to see Jonah did not come to Nineveh with a great speech. He just did what God told him to do and huge results. And I think so often, at least I think for myself, I, I, I feel how I've got to make things happen. Instead of saying, God, you make things happen, I'm here. And you set it up. And then you put me in a circumstance where I can say something. You know? And I've been thinking about that because we have a whole bunch of neighbors who just, they don't know God. And, and you can see it in their families. You know, they, they don't have somebody they can cry out to. They, they don't have guidelines to navigate this world they're in, you know? And they don't have that, that common unity that a family can have. If we look to the Bible for answers, they, they're missing all those things. They don't have a family like this. People look out for them, you know? Listen to them and all that. And so, as a pastor, one of the worst things, you know, hi, I'm the pastor that moved in next door. Come to church with me. So it's like, God, give me opportunities. And, and it's amazing what happens when you pray that prayer. Pray that prayer. So I would encourage you to do that, and then just you might be find surprised that that person you've been praying for says, "You know, where do you go to church?" I'm serious. Start praying. So those are your, that's your first assignment. Your second assignment is simply to pick up where we left off. Start reading Jonah chapter one. There's only two more verses left. Read those two verses and chapter two and chapter three. They're really short, but read them. And the reason I might have you read all of that together is there's a theme that flows through those. This theme of repentance. And that's what we're going to press into next week, this idea of repentance. Repentance is, is simply, or I should say simplistically, repentance is turning from disobedience towards obedience. But it's a huge theme, huge theme that we need to press into. And one of the reasons we need to press into it is because if you want to run from God, there's always a ship that will take you the opposite direction to that city that we will not speak of anymore. There, there's, um, there's always going to be a ship. It will be so easy to run. It will be so easy to do that. And so we want to press into why would we not do that? Why would, why would we jump ship? And since I was being kind of quippy there, let me also say this. When it comes to repentance, God, if you are experiencing a storm, God doesn't send storms your way to pay you back for your sins. If he sends a storm, it's to turn you back. And there's a big difference. And, and hopefully that will play out if you look at these, these passages. So there's your homework, right? And we'll come back and we'll pick up where we left off. So please stand. Let me pray a blessing as we go forth from this place um, and off to our many things. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you care enough about us to give us truth. And Lord, we've got truth. We, we've got truth that comes in the written form here, your word. And Lord, we pray that that you'll help us to be a people who press into your word, not just that, that move beyond Sunday school. And that we, we look for the deeper things that you're saying through these familiar stories. Lord, we thank you that, that you sent the truth to walk among us, that you sent Jesus, the Christ, and we can look to his example and we can see a life that was lived perfectly according to your will. And, and we thank you that you sent the spirit of truth that we all have access to. May your spirit be guiding us and opening our eyes and our hearts and, and our lives more than ever before as we look to you now in these, these weeks ahead. God bless everyone as they go forth now from these places. Help them to be a blessing as they now go and, and, and cheer on graduates and, and support others and, and spend time.
with loved ones. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.